paths led the nation to civil war. Today, we'll talk about one of those roads, the one most shrouded in mystery and least accessible to the modern historian because it was secret by its nature. It's the Underground Railroad, the route by which some enslaved people were able to escape to freedom. And our guest is Fergus M. Bordewick, author of Bound for Canaan, The Underground Railroad and the War for the Soul of America. Join us on Civil War Talk Radio. Remember when you laughed during a business conference? You felt more energized, more alert, and more receptive to the message being delivered. Hi, I'm Russ Dahlnack, and I make people laugh. And as a professional humorous speaker, I open up a morning conference session with a laugh or close off the day with a funny recap. It's it's just a one-of-a-kind experience. Visit RussIsFunny.com right now. Get an audience into it. You know, if they're laughing, it's paying big dividends. They're more relaxed. They're more creative. And if nothing else, a humorous speaker leaves each and every one of them with a smile on their face. You need comedy. Custom, clean, clever comedy. Otherwise, your audience might just goes off. <laughs> just imagine, if you had to listen to hours of serious commentary without a break, come on, pack some upbeat energy into your next event. Humor works. Find me, Russ Dahlnack, at russisfunny.com because, well, Russ's chubby.com was taken. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Jerry Kukovich, coming to you from my office on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, in the Brewster Building. Today, discussing the issue of the Underground Railroad, the railroad that leads to the Civil War in the decade of the 1850s. And with us to discuss this interesting subject is Fergus M. Bordewick, author of Bound for Canaan, The Underground Railroad and the War for the Soul of America. Fergus, are you there? Yes, I am, Jerry. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Let me start by asking if I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. That's right. It's Bordewick. Bordewick. Uh, but it's spelled with a C-H. Yes, yes, it is. It's a Norwegian name. It's a bit tricky. Yes. I, I, people have actually mispronounced Prokopovich on occasion uh, in my own lifetime, so it, it would not surprise me. And uh, I, I would hate to get someone else's name wrong, so I thought I'd start with that. And also start with an apology for the quality of my voice, which I seem to have exhausted in yelling at uh, a horde of 10-year-old girls at <laughs> soccer tryouts last Wednesday. So I have very little left, and I will look forward to hearing your ideas, and, and I'll be quiet much of this hour. But I thought I'd start uh, by asking how uh, how you got interested in uh, history generally, and uh, in this topic in particular. Sure. Uh, well, speaking of history generally, I, I, I can't really remember a time uh, when, even as a small kid, I didn't have a fascination with, with history in the past. I had uh, the mixed blessing of being raised uh, largely by my grandmother, uh, because my mother had a, 
uh, professional career, raised by my grandmother, who was born in 1882, and as a matter of fact, was raised in Brooklyn, New York, uh, amongst men of her father's generation, who were all Civil War veterans. And my grandmother talked to me about old old Brooklyn, and she talked to me as a tiny kid, actually, about her father's and other family members' uh, Civil War stories. Uh, so very early on, I, I uh, was aware, maybe much earlier than most kids, that there had been a long history before my arrival on Earth, and there, there had been great events before my time that were uh, and they were recounted to me dramatically, so I was fascinated. And uh, 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 and with respect to this era, among other things, I had the great good fortune of discovering Bruce Catton's histories of the Civil War when I was pretty young, uh, which were pretty rich reading. Um, speaking of the Underground Railroad, uh, I grew up in a neighborhood in uh, Yonkers, New York, that's a little bit north of New York City, uh, it's a small city, and uh, I grew up in a neighborhood that adjoined a community that was locally said to have been founded by fugitive slaves who came north on the Underground Railroad, uh, and was still a wholly uh, black neighborhood um, in the 50s when I was growing up. Uh, now, I should say uh, that when I embarked on my book, Bound for Canaan, I had in mind to write the story of that particular neighborhood, at least anecdotally in my book, the book's a national book, and I uh, uh, investigated the origins of that, that community in detail and was dismayed to discover the, the, the neighborhood was actually developed in the 1910s. So, therefore, its story was one of these, this multitude of underground railroad fictions which which pervades our country, mainly in the northern states. Every town seems to have a house or a cave or a basement or some uh, uh, um, legendary hidey hole uh, that was associated with the Underground Railroad, most of which are fictional, of course. So you got the idea to to write this based on a neighborhood that seemed to have a connection, but, but turns out not to. Um, is, is this your uh, day job, uh, writing... I, I, I am uh, no more, no less than a writer. I, I write all the time. Uh, I, this is, uh, is my uh, fourth uh, adult book. Uh, I've written, worked as a journalist also for many, mo- many, most of the national magazines for the last thirty to forty years. That, that is, uh, I'm filled with both envy and and just a, a cold <laughs> grip of fear at the thought of writing for a living. Uh, uh, not not the professors don't write, but uh, to to depend on the audience, uh, on the publisher. That, that's, that's a very brave thing, I think. Um, so you had the idea to to do this, and as you say, the the neighborhood that inspired it turns out not to really be connected. That is something that that made me very in, curious about your book. Why one reason I was very eager to read it is the sense that the Underground Railroad is so. Uh, Ethereal, so so impossible to to grasp uh, the reality of. There are no uh, physical or very few physical uh, remain remnants of it. It's and yet there are stories of it everywhere. So I I have often wondered if there one could say if there even was an underground railroad. Uh, 
or if it is a story that has grown in the telling, a way of uh, soothing the conscience of uh, white Americans in particular, that, of course, there was this great attempt to uh, help the slaves in the 1840s and 50s. Uh, well, so you've, what, kind, what did of, you you've kind of uh, put two different uh, thoughts out there. Uh, one of them is uh, how how real was the Underground Railroad and how documentable is it? And the other uh, was, is the story, the national story that we tell about the Underground Railroad, really one of self-gratification uh, uh, for in order to make uh, white Americans, particularly in the northern states, uh, uh, feel feel better about our, uh, on the whole, pretty disgraceful history with respect to slavery and and in African Americans. Uh, to, to take on the first one, well, my, my research. I spent five years on this book. I began in 1998, uh, and I should say parenthetically, I was asked to write a story by a magazine on the Underground Railroad when the federal government established its Freedom Trails program to identify and memorialize Underground Railroad routes. And then when I embarked on that story, I went to my local Barnes & Noble uh, intending to buy the, uh, a couple of standard histories of the Underground Railroad and was astonished not only that none existed, but none had even been attempted since the 1890s, the last uh, the last serious national history of the Underground Railroad by Wilbur Siebert was published in 1898. Um, and that was the kind of uh, the real motivator to go out and do the book. Now, uh, as I carried on my research, I, I found pretty quickly that there is a vast, vast uh, abundance of material on the Underground Railroad out there. There's, there's nothing mythical about the Underground Railroad except kind of local local folk tales about about houses which are often invented by real estate agents that's a, that's a separate issue mm. there's an abundance of information on the actual underground railroad there was a great deal written about it in the 19th century uh there was a fair bit of reporting on it in the abolitionist press in the 1840s and 50s then in the 18 uh, 70s and 80s, uh, a number of very, very important memoirs of activists appeared. And as the activists died off, their obituaries, often very, very, very lengthy ones, provided another source of material and a, a yet another source, in some ways the most valuable of all, uh, consists of the multitude of narratives that were left and published by uh, former slaves who escaped slavery, some of whom escaped on the Underground Railroad, others participated in the Underground Railroad work. So there's an abundance of material, and particularly in those parts of the country where the Underground uh, was, was very active. For example, southeastern Pennsylvania, uh, in the counties around Philadelphia, uh, the Ohio River Valley, southern Ohio, southern Indiana, Eastern Indiana, Detroit, Michigan, Central New York State, up in the area of Syracuse, Rochester, Buffalo, and in Southern Ontario in Canada, where uh, thousands of fugitives finally settled. And I mean that—that that, I just want to give you a sense that there's a lot out there. Uh, 
Now, the, the second point you raised, which is really an important one, I think, which is what do we think the Underground Railroad was? And Let, let me interrupt you yeah, and, sure. and stay on that first point just for a moment yeah. with uh, the question. So there's a vast amount of material that you found, yes. uh, the, these firsthand accounts from yes. those who traveled on it, those who, who helped people along. And yet even there, by the late 19th century, when the, these obituaries are being written, Already the memory of the Civil War is being transformed, and people are writing these things not necessarily to tell the truth as it was, but as they remember it or as they, they want it to be. And I, I was reading not long ago a memoir of an Ohio soldier that was written in uh, uh, the late 1890s as a mem- memorial, as a memoir for his own family. He was the grandfather now. And he wanted uh, his children to know about his service and his, his youth. And in this book of several hundred pages, this paragraph jumped out at me. Let me share it here. It all this, this is about the late 1850s, and he's a, a teenager. All this time, the political ferment, which led up to the War of the Rebellion, was in an active state. We kept an underground railroad station and often had runaway slaves, men and women, concealed about the place in the daytime, your grandfather forwarding them to the next station north during the night. For you must know that in those days, to feed or shelter a poor black man in his search for a land where all men are free was a most serious crime. And that's it. And what strikes me about that is in this book of 200 pages, in which the author spends a good eight pages describing how they used to make soap on the farm when he was a boy, (laughs) there's three lines about the Underground Railroad. Now, if they really were sheltering fugitives and risking their lives, surely he would have written a lot more about it. And this, to me, smacks of, of someone in the late 1890s saying, well, of course we were on the good guy's side in those days. Uh, and he did go on to fight in the Civil War for the North. But well, that seems suspicious yeah. to me. Well, it's a problematic sort of text, obviously, because it, it, it's a bit short on detail. I would assume that the author was a boy in the 50s. He would have been a teenager, that's a teenager. right. So he was not actively the one right. doing things. So it was his father. The grandfather in that quote was actually his father. That, oh, that, that uh, kind of modest description is fairly common uh, uh, in, in uh, let's say, the recorded, in the documentary evidence for the Underground Railroad. There's much better material than that, but that's not uncommon. Uh, not all members of a family participated not all were equally interested, uh, not all were equally well-informed, and depending on how a family was actually plugged into the underground, perhaps only its outbuildings were used. Uh, members of the family may not personally have done more than make their barn available, for example, or a, space, or, or, or a place out in the cornfield, or have uh, seen that there was some food out in the barn for people coming through. Uh, different activists in the underground did different things. And indeed, there are many people who are part of the underground who never themselves dealt directly with fugitives. They were the people who protected those who did. Uh, they were people who helped raise money. They were people who helped ensure that, that there were spare clothes available. Who They were lawyers who defended those uh, people who did shelter fugitives and were caught. Uh, uh, I mean, I wouldn't discount that bit of text, and it doesn't strike me as Mm -hmm. self-aggrandizing. 
uh, it just strikes me as as a dim memory. Um, many, in contrast to uh, memoirists of the war, uh, who are often later refighting old battles, um, people who participated in underground railroad work, uh, with rare exceptions, were driven by a what I would call a spiritual imperative. They were they were products of the evangelical revival of the early 19th century, uh, and they were drawn into anti-slavery work, uh, not for political reasons but religious reasons, um, because they had come to see slavery as a sin that stained America and stained themselves if they didn't act to do something about it. And what you have in many memoirs of underground activity is not people boasting about what they did. That's that almost never occurs. Uh, more often, it's as if people were recollecting a piece of their religious life from decades earlier. Uh, and there's, I find, generally a rather striking uh, modesty and understatement to people's activity because it's as if People were recollecting prayer rather than politics, if you follow me. I, I do, and it strikes me that also there might even be a self-selecting personality type. If you're the boastful, uh, big talker type, you're not going to be very successful underground railroad. Very, right. very correct. Quite correct. I agree with you. So, so to some extent, they're going to have to be quiet about it while it happens. Well, and and to support your point further, by the late. 19th century, when you have the reconciliation of North and South, uh, as David Blade has argued, over uh, sort of over the, the prostrate figure of the freedmen, uh, an agreement that the war was, uh, you know, a terrible thing, but now we're all brothers again, and let's forget about any of the political causes behind it, including certainly slavery. Um, if you're going to have that kind of reconciliation, to speak out at all in the late 19th century about your former participation in the Underground Railroad is to upset the, uh, 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 is to bring up the, the late unpleasantness in a way that's not supposed to be mentioned. Uh, yeah, so. I think you're exactly right. And that that point is why we remember so little about the Underground Railroad when this country abandoned uh, African Americans, when it abandoned Reconstruction in the 1870s, it abandoned black Americans and embraced a narrative, as you say, of reconciliation, and uh, it embraced segregated institutions, and it embraced collectively, uh, in large part, the, the uh, whole uh, philosophy of scientific racism that was invented in the slave states before the Civil War. It became a national ideology, after the Civil War, as a rationalization, in part, for the abandonment of the country's commitment to former slaves. And there was really no place anymore in the national narrative for the true story of the Underground Railroad. The, under, the, the Underground Railroad was the cutting edge, the activist edge of the abolitionist movement. Uh, the, the people who participated in it were racially very radical. The Underground Railroad was, in large part, uh, organized, uh, staffed, led, and to some degree financed by African Americans, and it produced a generation of extraordinary individuals, Frederick Douglass being merely uh, 
uh, one of the most famous and capable, and a writer, unlike most others. Uh, all these people and their activity uh, were, I would say, aggressively forgotten in the name of reconciliation after the war. So, so that's something that that compounds the, the evidentiary problem. Yeah. The, the Underground Railroad in its time is, is inherently secret, and so people are not uh, recording things. In our, our, the audience listening to this show already knows that, of course, the Underground Railroad is not literally a system of train tracks and stations and uh, doesn't literally go underground at any point, except maybe to hide in a cellar periodically. But neither is there a, a, a formal system, uh, as you show in your book. There's no national president, there's no uh, staff officer. It's, it's very much a, an, uh, an amorphous kind of organization. Uh, organization maybe even is too strong a word for it. Uh, I, I, would, I would argue that it was more, more organized than people generally have come to believe in our present time. Uh, but it was organized in the way that the Internet is organized. It didn't have a president or a board of directors, and there was no central direction. But, but on a local basis, and bearing in mind we were a rural country in those days, uh, that it was highly organized on a local basis. And, uh, and if you imagine a vast web of local cells interacting at their tips with other local cells, you do have a, a fairly... Frames like cells yeah. raises hints of uh, contemporary politics, and uh, the Internet is one analogy, but perhaps Al-Qaeda is another uh, that, that will give us food for thought to talk about. We're going to take a short break, however... Uh, at this point, we're talking to you with Fergus M. Bordewick, author of Bound for Canaan, A History of the Underground Railroad. And we'll be back in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio.